Dan Roberts. I'm the arena announcer for the Utah Jazz. Time now to talk about the Utah Jazz and the NBA on the Salt Lake Tribune Jazz Podcast. How about this jazz? And now, ladies and gentlemen, let's meet Eric Walden and Andy Larson. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the How About This Jazz podcast. I am your host, Eric Walden, a Utah Jazz beat reporter for the Salt Lake Tribune. My usual colleague, Andy B. Larson, is traveling. He is on the road trip, Milwaukee, Cleveland, Detroit, so he's unable to join us. So this week, I have brought in a special guest to talk about some issues that are of particular relevance to Jazz Nation, to the Jazz, to Salt Lake City in general, to our wonderful listeners and readers of the Tribune. Uh, Joe Varden, national NBA writer for The Athletic, who is based in Cleveland and thus is well-versed in the Cavaliers and now Donovan Mitchell, is my guest today. Joe, how are you doing? Well, I'm super famous, so I don't really think you needed to say all that stuff. I I assume everybody just kind of knows me. That's true. It really was an unnecessary introduction. (laughs) your, Your exploits in the sports journalism community are indeed legendary. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. No, th- it's great to great to do this. Thanks for for thinking of me. And first off, let's let's just go ahead and get started right there. Then let's let's discuss the game specifically, and then we'll kind of get into some of the bigger picture issues surrounding Donovan, the Jazz, the Cavaliers, the trade, and and all the uh, fallout and aftermath from that. But obviously, uh, Donovan had a pretty incredible performance: twenty three points in uh, just under twenty three minutes. It was a rout by the Cavaliers, um, second straight blowout that the Jazz have endured on this road trip. Kind of give me your takeaways. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Donovan, before it and after it, went to fairly great lengths to try to downplay this idea of, of playing against the Jazz for the first time. Um, and I have some thoughts on that, but but he he said what he said about, trying to stress to his guys on the Cavs that not to make too much of this. And that's fine. Um, but then he comes out and he has 11 points in six minutes. And he's, you know, um, the, the Jazz take a timeout and, and Donovan's coming off the floor bobbing his head and, you know, just basically acting like this is going to be his night. And um, I guess, you know, for a couple of reasons, it, it kind of got away from how epic it could have been for him you know like you said 23 points which is great considering it's less than 20 or about 23 minutes but um it was a blowout for one and so he didn't play at all in the fourth quarter he's he's one of the top three clutch players in the league and um a dominant fourth quarter player this year averaging almost eight points a game i think in the fourth quarter so you know you're looking at at least a 30 plus night, and then the other thing is he had four fouls. He he picked up his fourth foul with like five plus minutes left in the third quarter, and, and we didn't see him again. So um, those two things, the blowout and and foul trouble, took away from what really could could have been uh, another statement game for Donovan and what has been the the year of his career to this point. Yeah, I believe it was you who I saw tweet that. Uh... If people weren't watching the game, they may want to <laughs> head on over to League Pass because he could be headed toward a 50-piece, which at the time seemed exceedingly reasonable to think that might happen. But as you mentioned, yeah, circumstances kind of 
conspired to uh, to deny that <laughs> from happening. Unfortunately, that would that would have been that would have been quite the epic thing. It would have been. You know, it's also like to kind of further just introduce myself to your your loyal listeners. Um, when the jazz come through, it, it is uh, it's personal in a good way for a couple other reasons. You know, now with with Colin being on the other end of that trade. Uh, Colin Sexton, and then also having uh, Jordan Clarkson uh, on the Jazz. I mean, both of those guys were here when uh, they were on that first team that LeBron, um, the the first Cavs team after LeBron had left, and um, so you know they were kind of the start of of the rebuilding. And then for me personally. Um, I was still covering that team for a couple months before uh, the athletic hired me and then promoted me to this to the title that I have now. So, you know, you go from being the team one or one A in the league in terms of notoriety and interest to, you know, everybody being gone and, and it's just you alone basically in the locker room with these guys night after night. And um you know, so, so I really got a chance to know Colin and know Jordan very well. And uh, so, yeah, I, I was really looking forward to last night, like beyond just the Donovan stuff. And it really stunk for Colin that he's hurt and, uh, and, and couldn't play. Yeah, we know just, just from the little bit that we've gotten to know Colin to this point, And he's a very forthright guy. He, he's a very, from what I can tell, hard on his sleeve type guy. Um, yeah, I, I distinctly got the impression that this was one he wishes he could have been healthy for and, and participating in. Um, so one other thing that you mentioned that, that I want to circle back to, you said that you said that Donovan was kind of going to lengths to kind of downplay the significance of this first matchup. Kind of explain what you mean by that. Yeah, I mean, before the game and after it, he talked about, you know, I mean, he acknowledged like, yeah, it'll be weird or it'll, there'll be some emotion. Um, but then, especially afterwards, he spoke about how he had talked to the Cavs about not putting too much into this game because he had put too much into playing against the Knicks, which is the team that he thought he was going to go to. And really, he wanted to go there uh, if he was going to move, move out of Utah. Um, and he, sa- he admits that he put too much into that. Uh, and then he felt that the Cavs followed suit. Um, but then he also, I mean, he just kind of acted like, you know, it's, it's cool and weird to play against the old team. Um, but, but he didn't. So he didn't acknowledge how big of a deal those kinds of reunion games can be. He did say that that coming there out to Salt Lake would be would be bigger, and it just smacked me of um, you know like Mike Conley, of course, is still there, and Jordan is still there. Um, a couple of the other guys, not as many though. I mean, it was a pretty pretty quick uh, rebuild and teardown from 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 the Donovan years. But you know, I, it just felt like he he looks at this as more of him against his old organization than it is him against his old team. You know, I mean, with Quinn gone and Rudy gone for all their their peaks and valleys of their relationship, that's still who he's tied to, and he's not Rudy's not there anymore either. And so it it did it. it he almost made it feel like. Um, that it, it wasn't quite the same as, as like when a when a star player leaves a team and then plays them for the first time just because there had been so much change up and down the, the Jazz roster. 
Yeah, it's a it's a fair point. It's an interesting point. You know, it's it's a conversation that uh, us jazz beat writers have had with Rudy Gobert already, with Boyan Bogdanovich that we'll have with Royce O'Neal down the road. Like, you know, it it definitely was more significant for Rudy the second time he played the Jazz this year because the the first time was in it was the second game of the season. It was in Minneapolis. You know, okay, coming back to Salt Lake City. Um, even though, you know, it, he's got history here, right? Like, he's still got a house here. Um, you know, he spent a bunch of years living here. Uh, and so there's just all of that kind of inherent stuff built into the experience. And then, yeah, on the flip side, like, Quinn's gone. Don, you know, Donovan's mm-hmm. gone. Royce's gone. Boyan's gone. Like, you know, uh, three-quarters of the team is gone, and including some of the coaching staff. So, yeah, there's just going to be, you know – I totally get where he's coming from in that respect because, yeah, it's like, you know, so much of what he knew as the Utah Jazz no longer exists. So uh, that said, I am curious to to see how the reception is and, and <laughs> how his experience changes when he comes back to Salt Lake City for the rematch uh, next month. So that, that should be intriguing. Yeah, I mean, I know <laughs> that... Today we're going to get into to, to maybe some of the reasons why uh, the the reaction may be what it was what it will be, um, but yeah, I mean I think January tenth is when the Cavs go there, and so everybody's going to want to check that out. And then what is also at least it's fascinating to me is just the coincidence of the, of Utah hosting the All Star Game this year. And Donovan, as of now, he's the best guard in the East. He's playing like it and and certainly will be an all-star. The only question is if he starts, which he should. Um, so, you know, he, you're going to have somebody who has a history there and then may may, may not uh, garner the, uh, <laughs> the, the adulation that, that he might have, have previously thought was coming his way. Um, returning as an all-star uh it's that's going to be fascinating to see for sure yeah all right so let's go a little more big picture than just uh monday night's matchup let's kind of address i don't know let's take a more sixty thousand foot view of of the trade in general um donovan like pretty expectedly i would say uh said he would assess the trade as as a win-win for both sides you know, he's obviously uh, flourishing with the Cavaliers. He's having the best season of his career by far. Cleveland has been incredibly successful in the East to this point. Uh, the Jazz got off to a far better than expected start from most people's view of, of what they were going to accomplish this year, including mine, I would say. Um, yep. let's, let's kind of assess, like, how this trade has indeed worked out for both sides if it is the proverbial win-win kind of uh take me through what the experience has been like of, of kind of covering donovan mitchell as a cleveland cavalier to this point so i knew donovan a little um my first like one of my main beats at the athletic is the team usa usa basketball experience and my first go around with that was the 2019 FIBA world cup and donovan was on that team so we met there and, and being in China together for 21 days, I got to know him a little bit. Um, and then being in the bubble, he was there. You know, I was there for his uh, ridiculous playoff games against Jamal Murray. And so, you know, in those 
two experiences, you get a chance to know somebody a little. Um, so I was familiar with him on a personal level when he came here to Cleveland. And I, I guess I would say for me, what has been so unique is seeing how polished of a player he is um, and, and just how good at so many different things, so many levels. Um, he, he really brings something to this team that like, you know, they haven't had since LeBron. I'm not saying he's as good as LeBron, but but he is uh, an all-star in, in every sense of the word, and, and he does things that I guess we haven't seen since Kyrie in terms of a guard being able to score it like that. But then also he that they haven't had since LeBron in terms of somebody late in a game where you can look at him and say, that guy is going to bail us out, you know, and, and the Cavs have that now. So... Um, those are the two things that stand out to me. Um, he is wonderful uh, to, to talk to either personally or when he's up there uh, at the podium after these games. Uh, very polished speaker, um, not afraid to, to, to speak his mind, but it, it's been such a positive experience for him so far that, that he hasn't really had to say you know anything to, to the contrary. Um, the Cavs overall, I think, love that he's here. You know, I, I do think uh, very quietly that Darius Garland is going through um, an adjustment playing alongside him. And I don't think it's, I, I don't know this. I don't know that it isn't personal. Um, I just, I haven't really seen anything that would suggest any tension whatsoever. Um, I just think that, that Darius was used to having the Cavs look at him um, in the fourth quarter and, and look, look to him to be the, the driver of their offense. And, and now that he isn't, um, he's kind of finding, trying to find his way, and, and it's, it's actually caused some, some fourth quarter struggles for him. So th- those are the overall takeaways, and it's, it's just it's easier to have these, such a rosy picture when the team is 21 and 11 and like 15 or 16 and 2 at home. Um, so there just, there hasn't been much to complain about. Yeah, no, it's, it's been kind of interesting just watching him now as an outsider and seeing some of the parallels of, of what he's doing in Cleveland, uh, relative to how his tenure with the jazz started, you know, the, the kind of exuberance and polish and speaking to the media, the, you know, getting involved in the community and all of that. And then it'll be interesting to see a couple years from now if, if the Cavaliers have some earlier than expected playoff ousters and 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 maybe some other situations crop up, how that uh, how that changes things, if at all. Which I don't want to imply he's you know going to be that history is going to repeat itself, but it, it it just has been it has been noted here that like oh Donovan's back to being friendly to media now, you know that kind of a thing. Um, sure. The Darius Garland thing is interesting. He may want to. Uh, in, reach out to Mike Conley to get some perspective on on the adjustment of going from being a lead guard, having the ball all the time, to all of a sudden having to play with uh, Donovan Mitchell and sharing those responsibilities. It, it took Mike Conley a good year to kind of uh, make that adjustment. So that's, that's, a, that's a curious little subplot as well. It is. You know, Cleveland fans have seen this before, and and I've I've made this comparison 
when LeBron came here in 2014, when he returned, he was coming to a team that Kyrie Irving had been the dominant player on for three years. And Kyrie had been to a couple All-Star games. He was the Rookie of the Year his first year. And they had stunk, like rotten, the whole time. But Kyrie individually flourished. And it was a major, major adjustment for him to, to relearn how to play alongside somebody who was A, better than him, and B, had accomplished more in the league. Um, we've seen Kyrie, as time has, has gone on, like show some of the, the personality traits that, that might make that adjustment a little bit tougher. I think we could say that uh, for him personally. And and I don't believe it, at any point that, that Donovan or Darius are, are like those two uh, in terms of personality. But, but yeah, I think on the floor there is a little bit of that. Um, Darius just just after having so much placed on him last year and, and, and so much success, an all-star, the Cavs at one time were second in the East as late as February. And then as everybody started to fall to injury around Darius, I mean, he was like, not only did he have the ball in his hands the whole time, but he was like, like he had it the entire shot clock. And, and you know, they were just trying to find a way to free him on a high pick and roll every time down the floor. And, uh, and it's just not like that now. So, um you know, we'll see. I, I mean, once we get to the playoffs and, and and teams have days to prepare for Donovan Mitchell and they, they design entire defenses to get the ball out of his hands, you know, Darius is the obvious answer to that. I mean, he's a he's a 35-plus percent three-point shooter. He's gifted off the dribble. So, you know, the opportunity will be there for him to thrive and to, to prevent opponents from doing that. But it, it's going to be on him to, to execute. All right, so now touching on the other side of this deal, you being a national writer for The Athletic, I know that you've watched some jazz games this year. I know that uh, you have some feelings about how they've done up to this point. Obviously, they got off to that incredibly fast start. They were the number one team in the Western Conference for a few days. Uh, (laughs) They shocked the hell out of everybody with that. And now they've kind of tailed off a bit. They've had... Some of those injuries, the bench hasn't been as good since Colin Sexton uh, went out with the injury. Uh, They were missing Kelly Olenek against the Cavaliers last night. They're struggling with interior defense and rebounding. Uh, Give me your kind of impressions of this Jazz team. On the one hand, like, it's been an incredibly fun team to cover, right? Like, they've been exciting. They've been entertaining. uh, They've been in a ton of shootouts, like... Really, up until these last couple of games, they hadn't been blown out this season. Um, So it's been fun from that perspective. And yet, I think the thing that a lot of people here are kind of grappling with is the conundrum of, okay, this team has a lot of experienced guys, good enough to, like, make them competitive on a nightly basis, which, which we've seen, but probably not good enough to make them, like, really kind of championship level competitive right and so I think a lot of people went into the season very excited about the possibility of this team being horrible and and competing for a shot maybe at Victor Wimbanyama right like having a potentially franchise altering guy and now it seems like they're maybe kind of stuck in that limbo area of of being you know kind of good but not great but also not horrible so give me your thoughts on, on kind of where this jazz team is why they've 
done what they've done and and maybe what you feel like their path should be going forward well i mean i think we know their path the the, the path was to accumulate nine thousand picks with these trades um and and rebuild that's that's what they want to do um it didn't get off to a rebuild in terms of of how they started the season because they kept a couple of key veterans who play the right way of course mike conley uh, of ohio state university being uh at top of mind for for me and and also jordan you know jordan clarkson has has really developed into a mature nice player who knows how to play and 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 do things the right way and so those two especially as guards um if you have that kind of veteran leadership uh at those positions get you get everybody standing in the right spot uh organized like you have more of a chance to win um like just just to compare when you talk about a rebuild after um you can't call the Jazz a dynasty, but but you could you know there was an era, right? They had an era of a number of years with Rudy and Donovan and and, and high expectations, and, and they had gone away from that. Um, and the Cavs had done the same thing after four finals, but their guards basically were Colin. And, you know, Colin Colin Sexton for the most part started as a as a as a rookie and just got drilled every night, and and you know Jetty Osman had to play two guard at times and was, was playing out of position and Jordan was here and, and wasn't ready yet. And they just got murdered. Um, and then the next year they had Darius Garland. And so now you're playing Colin and Darius together and you just, you don't really have a chance uh, <laughs> if you're starting two you know, younger guards um, like that and, and, and with no help and they just get killed on a nightly basis. So the Jazz already didn't start that way. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is is, is Laurie Markkinen. I mean, he is it, he is having a career year, and it's not even close. Like he has never he has never played like this, and that is the big shocker. And if you kind of if you take a step back and and say, all right, how how do we grade this trade for these two teams? You know, it was always going to be a successful trade for Utah because of just the sheer volume of picks that they brought back. I mean, you know, three first rounders and then two pick swaps. Um, if if Donovan leaves leaves the Cavs at any point, those picks become really valuable. You you would argue, uh, certainly have a chance to. But then the the player that really makes this an interesting trade for Utah is Markinen. I mean, he's become their leading scorer and leading rebounder. And I don't think there is any way that you could reasonably say that, that he would have been expected to do that in Cleveland. And I actually think that J.B. Bickerstaff, the Cavs coach last night, had given Laurie way too much credit for, for what the Cavs were able to accomplish last year, which in the end of the, at the end of the day actually wasn't much. They, they reached the play-in and lost, which is um, great. When you th- when you consider they were the worst team in the league for the previous three years, but not so good when you realize they were in second place in the East in February, and I just thought I thought Laurie was okay, but but whenever you got into a situation where other guys were hurt and you needed someone to come out and score twenty points, he couldn't do it. Um, very similar to how he was with the Bulls, and so through the first twenty games in Utah, he has been that player. I, I did find it interesting just kind of following some of you guys, you and uh, like your beat 
partners on that cover the jazz there were a, there were there was a discussion of criticism uh with Laurie about not being um as commanding of the ball as he should and and sort of taking that that role by the horns as as your dominant player in these these games against these big teams so um it will be interesting to me to see how long the the lori star burns the, this brightly um if he is the player we've seen now for two months, then like the Jazz are set up to be pretty good, pretty fast. Um, and if he regresses, then I, you know, I still think that they're following along uh, the path that, that Danny clearly set. He's got a treasure trove of assets um, that you can build through the draft. You can make trades to get better quicker. And so, you know, just kind of, I think they take this year to see what they have with marketing. It's such an interesting conversation, right? Because Lowry has been... Uh, I'm glad that you brought up last year in Cleveland, right? Because I think when the trade happened, it immediately became cover- colored by his performance at Eurobasket this summer, right? Because, as you mentioned, you know, up until this point, he had, you know, been been included in that Jimmy Butler trade and... and his draft rights sent to Chicago with the perception that, like, or, or the hope at least that, like, he could maybe become, like, the guy to lead the Bulls back to relevance. And and you saw some initial signs, and then that quickly faded away uh, to the point that, like, they did not want to bring him back for the second contract. Uh, you know, they reached the sign-and-trade where he goes to Cleveland. And I get that, you know... When you have a chance to get Donovan Mitchell, you, you, you throw in whatever you need to do to make that happen from their perspective. You know, obviously short of, like, giving up someone like Evan Mobley, which you're not going to do. Um, but, you know, it, it, it was interesting to me also that, like, one year after he reached that deal with the Cavs, you know, he was expendable again. And it's just been kind of a uh, – he's an intriguing guy to me in that, as you mentioned, there's really is no – previous history of him playing at this level and and showing he can do it consistently now i by pure chance you know happened to be in helsinki right after uh he wrapped up at eurobasket so i got a chance to sit down with him and um you know he and me and him and his wife all met up at a coffee shop like two minute drive from their house and and just spent the time talking right and and me getting to know him and him introducing himself to jazz fans and he made the point that in his mind, he'd always felt capable of doing more and just felt like, aside from playing with Finland, he'd never really been given that opportunity. And now, you know, on this jazz team where you don't have a Donovan Mitchell on it anymore, uh, he felt like Will Hardy basically said, yeah, hey, you know, I saw how you played in Prague. Let's, Let's unlock that. Let's try to make that happen. So, you know... For him, like, he's throwing it out there on the one hand, like, hey, I always knew I had this in me and I just needed the opportunity. And it, and it's interesting to, like, kind of get back to that other perspective of, well, you know, maybe there's a reason that you never got all these opportunities to be the man. And, and is it sustainable? Given that, as you mentioned, like, he seems to – there have been a ton of games this season – where he goes, he absolutely goes off in the first half, is untouchable, um, you know, is putting up, you know, 18, 20, 25 points on great shooting, and then really, 
really significantly tails off in the second half as he starts getting some more defensive attention thrown his way. And does he truly have that mentality of being the man on a team, of being that primary offensive option? So that's that was a really interesting point you brought up, I thought. Well, okay, so one, um, this experience that you had with him and his wife at a coffee shop, like those kinds of things just don't happen anymore. So <laughs> that's pretty remarkable that you even got to do that. No, uh, I, for... <laughs> one, one quick aside, you'll find this hilarious as a, as a journalist who's been in these experiences. So as we sat down, like I knew that they had a little, I knew that they had two little kids, right? And so I was like cognizant of that. And I'm also cognizant of the fact that like NBA players just don't love to like give up a ton of time doing interviews. So I made sure to ask at the beginning, I'm like, all right, how much how much time are we looking at? And Lowry's like, oh, I'm I'm thinking like 15 minutes. And bless his wife's heart, she interjects, oh no, we dropped the kids off with the grandparents. We've got a ton of time. <laughs> Good for her. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Continue. Yeah. No, I just um, he he's a, he's a very nice guy, and and he I guess yeah, I mean you want to root for him, you want him to reach that potential. I know that in Chicago he went through multiple coaches. And had he reached that potential, at least one of them would probably still be working there. Um, he just didn't do it. And, and they would, they, some of those teams were bad and, and they were looking to him to see if, if he could thrive and without pressure and then also thrive uh, and make the Bulls uh, better than their record had, had indicated. And it, it just didn't happen. I, I, one point that I find interesting, and, and I don't, I don't remember or even pre- like pretend to know um, L- Laurie's history with Team Finland and and international play prior to this this past year, but players when they get like these these NBA players when they get to their national teams, they they may have been role players in the league. And then they get on these teams, and something clicks for them. And sometimes um, it's it's just uh, the how do, how do I want to say this? It's it's just the, the the experience of being away from other players who are supposed to be as good as they are. Sometimes it's it is like the the nationalism that 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 or just or the pride of country, excuse me, that that comes along with it. But it unlocks something. In these players it unlocks something and when you talk about the coach the the jazz coach will hardy I, I didn't even realize that he was on that that night 2019 staff with team usa as it turns out he was a videographer uh not a videographer he was a he was a video coordinator excuse me and and but in those days it was pre-covid so so they were traveling with big staffs and, and he would have been there, and I could have e- just as easily missed him and never met him. But And that turned out to be the case. Like, that was his first introduction to Donovan Mitchell, was was serving on that staff uh, for Greg Popovich as a video coordinator. And the, the Team USA experience and the international experience that Will has, um, has, I think, enabled him to, to see what happened with Laurie, and know to unlock that. I mean, you guys had you you had Ricky Rubio for a while, and so you know that that throughout history there there's uh, like Span, Team Spain Ricky. Um, he's a star when he puts on the, the the Spanish jersey, and it just hasn't 
translated to the same kind of thing here in the NBA. Um, the Cavs f- thought they had had tapped into that last year, and you know, I, I mean, so we're, you're starting to see more of that. I mean, the, another guy who who just flips the switch is uh, Evan Fournier. He is a dominant player for France, and as we know here in the U.S., he's he's just a role player. So um, I do find that part interesting that that he he has this great run in Eurobasket for for Team Finland. And then he gets he's coached by a coach with international experience, and they seem to harness what they saw over there in Euro Eurobasket at least for a couple months. Yeah, it's been it's been a pretty intriguing start, and yeah, all of those little factors playing into it have uh, have certainly made for kind of an intriguing experience, and it'll be curious to see whether or not it continues going forward. Um, I know that for now, Jazz fans are absolutely convinced that Larry Markkinen is uh, bound to be a 2023 all-star for the first time. He'll be representing <laughs> the Jazz here in Salt Lake City. We'll, we'll see if that is the case. Um, anyway, I want to move on to one other thing yeah. regarding, regarding Donovan Mitchell. Uh, kind of the, the discussion locally, I mean, obviously, you know, him facing the Jazz was a huge thing, but the other thing that's really being talked about here is the interview that he did with Mark Spears of Anscape, which is the uh, the sports and culture vertical from ESPN.com. Uh, he made some really kind of intriguing points in that, kind of referencing his time here, uh, kind of comparing the experience of, of Salt Lake City to now being in Cleveland. Um, it's It's been some intriguing points that have really kind of sparked a lot of discussion locally. Uh, I think he makes a lot of good points. You know, he was asked about the experience of going from playing for largely white uh, audiences at Vivint Arena here in Salt Lake City compared to having a lot more uh, black fans in the crowd in Cleveland and and finding that comforting. Um, He he references the experience he had with the state senator here, um, saying that he needed to get educated on critical race theory and and that the legislature here was going to educate him uh he referenced you know uh, a local girl izzy tikanor who you know uh, a black girl who had autism who was bullied and wound up committing suicide at 10 or 11 years old um he talked about the juneteenth post that he made on instagram a few years ago and the backlash the blowback that he got from that it, it really kind of just re-sparked the conversation around the experience of black athletes from elsewhere and and their desire or lack of desire to come play for the Jazz in Salt Lake City because of the perception of the fan base here, which in a lot of cases is, is justified. So I guess just obviously I know you're not necessarily super well-versed on, on you know, the demographics and, and local politics of Salt Lake City and of, and of Utah in general, but just as someone who has covered the NBA at large, who's dealt with a lot of, you know, who's spoken to so many players throughout the league, I guess I'm kind of curious for your perspective on this situation. Well, so, so my background um, is prior to covering the NBA, I, 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 was, uh, I had done politics for six years. As a, as a politics reporter and, and actually um, covered the, the presidential campaign of Mitt Romney 
and I covered it like my I was working for the Columbus Dispatch, and um, at the time Ohio was a swing state, and so we would travel like we wouldn't we wouldn't be on campaign planes for months at a time, but certainly we would go to neighboring states and we would cover everything that happened within our state. And, and as a swing state at the time, both campaigns just basically set up, set up shop in the state. So, you know, I mean, my access to the candidate was not very different from anybody else who was, who was there, but, but there was um, a reporter on, on Mitt's bus um, who, who happened to be, from the state of Utah and, and, and is Mormon, uh, McKay Coppins, who's, who has been, um, you know, he's, he's a famous political journalist now. And, and just in having like conversations with him, um, and just sort of explaining some of Mitt's background and just sort of maybe how Mitt had, had grown up and, and, and what, um, living in Utah was like, Th- those are things that if you had never been there, which, which I had never been at, at that point in my life, like you, you just don't know that you don't know what it's like. Um, and so then I remember touching down in the state of Utah and, and, and in Salt Lake city at the airport there, um, in 2014 or 15, whatever, whenever it was that we went there for the first time and, and just being, you know, as just a, a white guy from Ohio being, um, I guess a little shell shocked at just the the culture and and what I saw and 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 this has like nothing to do with with race relations at this point. This is just having never been to a place and going there for the first time and being like, wow, this this is different from other places that I have seen. Um, you know, I, I of course I can't speak to what it's like uh, to to be uh, an African American anywhere. That's that that's not who I am, and and so. You know, like I, I can't, I, I really can't say what Donovan's experience was. I mean, you listed off a number of these things, um, and the the thing that 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 strikes out or that that you know struck me a little was the comparison about Salt Lake and Cleveland and and being more comfortable playing here because there are more African Americans at the games, and and I suppose. That is true, and if you if you walk around in Cleveland, like downtown or whatever, if you're at the arena, like yes, the, you do see you know more black people than you than you would otherwise. But you know, Ohio is is not a uh, is, is not a, a melting pot, uh, and is certainly a, politically has has um, has fell way way to the right. Uh, the city of Cleveland is not that way. It, it, it um, you know, demographically is is certainly you know uh, more diverse and and leans left with with how it votes. Uh, but but you get not very far outside of the city limits, and and it's it's a different state than it, than it used to be. You know, even when I was was covering politics here, and so I th- I don't know um, depending on how politically active you know, Donovan gets, um, I don't know that, that he won't eventually hear something like that. I think one thing that might inoculate him is that, that the politics by and large are done in Columbus, which is two plus hours from Cleveland, instead of the state legislature being in the same town as, as where he was playing basketball before. Um, and so also, you know, I mean, the, maybe there's just, there'll be fewer, uh, opportunities, I guess, for, for him to comment on something that, 
that uh, that an Ohio lawmaker might might say something against. But you know, the, there are always going to be ambitious politicians, always looking to um, you know, and sort of understanding. The, the notoriety that comes with with re- rebutting um, a, pre- a professional athlete with the with the platform of Donovan, um, I, I will leave you guys with this. Like in the reverse, I was talking to Colin the other day uh, or yesterday, I guess, and asking him about you know what it's like to live in Salt Lake, and and he he's like, well, it's really quiet, um, and he said he likes it, but he said it's really quiet, and he said I couldn't. I, I never thought it could get quieter than it was in Cleveland, but but it is. So um, I guess listening to what he had to say and then imagining the reverse of Donovan moving out of Salt Lake up to, to Cleveland, that I, I, I guess for now he, he does feel more comfortable. And, you know, that's a good thing, right? It's You want people to be comfortable in their surroundings. Um, I guess I just I, I hope for him that, that he continues to feel that way. Yeah. It's it's an intriguing conversation for sure, and uh, it's one that will continue to make the rounds here in Salt Lake City. Uh, at any rate, Joe, thank you so much for joining me today and and giving us some insight onto into how things are going with Donovan, with the Cavaliers, with with the experience, and and your perspectives on the Jazz as well. I'd really appreciate you making the time. Oh, I enjoyed this, and uh, yeah, get, thanks for giving me a chance to just talk and talk and talk and talk. <laughs> my, my pleasure uh why don't you throw out your your relevant social media uh accounts for people who might be interested in, and want to follow you and i don't know if there's anything big you're working on next that you want people to keep an eye out for with the athletic but if so you can you can throw that out there as well well i'm um i do still have a twitter account uh it's at joe varden um you know, I, I tweet, uh, I, I mostly just tweet links there at this point, either my own or, or others that I'm reading. Uh, but that's uh, you know, always appreciate a follow no matter what. Um, but thanks for, for asking me about a story. I do have one that's kind of fun that should be coming out fairly soon. Um, you know this from, from covering uh, the, the jazz and, and going through the city of New York, that New York is a destination town for the 28 other visiting teams. Um, you often are there for multiple days, and because of the lack of availability at Madison Square Garden, and then also it, nobody wants to cross the bridge and go to, to Barclays unless they absolutely have to for, for to play the actual game. So anytime a team wants to practice or shoot around while they're in the city of New York, they have to work really hard to find a place. And the places that they ultimately find are these tiny little college gyms tucked away in the city, colleges that most people have never heard of. And you have these world famous athletes going through the halls and the buses are parking out on Park Avenue or, or Lexington Avenue or you know, uh, 59th Street, whatever, that, depending on where we're going. And, and these guys are walking through the halls and then they walk into these gyms and the, the kids who play sports at these schools no one's, no one's ever heard of, they get a chance to watch practice and the coaches get to meet these guys. And so I just, over 10 years of covering the league, I wondered what that was like for these people to host these teams when they come through in New York City. And I was fortunate enough to, to, to get uh, one of the, the colleges in New York to go along with this. And, and I actually was able to collect a bunch of stories 
from a school that has been hosting teams for the last 20 years. Um, trainers and coaches and former players and just got a chance to get them to talk about what they have seen and heard over these two decades with these NBA teams as they've come through. And and, and, and I think it, it's pretty fascinating, uh, you know, to read if you're a fan and, and just wondering, like, what, what a slice of, of NBA life is like from somebody who doesn't live it but got a chance to see it every so often. I love that story. As, as someone who has been in a couple of tiny gyms around the country watching <laughs> a shoot around I can I can uh, speak to what an experience that is that sounds like a great story uh, for those of you here in Salt Lake City in Utah or or wherever you might be who follow the jazz and know the great work that uh, Tony Jones does in covering them for the athletic um, Joe is also a great read I've been reading Joe forever and so if you're a subscriber to the athletic Start seeking out his stuff. If you're not and you've been considering subscribing for Tony's coverage, you should, you know, Joe's another good reason to pull the trigger on that. Um, and while we're talking about subscribing, I'd be remiss if I didn't throw in a plug for my own place. If you're not a subscriber to the Salt Lake Tribune, we are a nonprofit, uh, first nonprofit daily metro in the country. Uh, it's crazy. We rely on subscriptions and donations. So we could use a Christmas present from a lot of people. If you're considering getting a subscription, now's a great time. Go to sltrib.com slash subscribe. Tell them Eric Walden sent you. And if you don't want a subscription, but you believe in our mission of, of watchdog journalism, uh, we are a Pulitzer Prize winning paper, and you want to just throw some money our way, you can go to sltrib.com slash donate. Again, tell them you did it because you love Eric Walden's coverage of the Utah Jazz um there we go thanks everyone for joining us thank you joe varden for being my guest uh this has been the how about this jazz podcast we will catch you again next week